This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hey, we're glad you're tuned in to us today for Worship at Calvary, especially if you're online and not often with us. Uh, we're glad you're here. And we're going to turn to the Word of God again, to the book of First Thessalonians, and you're welcome to come by the church and pick one of these up, even if you're normally at home. Heard a great story this week of one of our members named Pat, who more than a year ago uh, entered into a, an assisted living down in Denver, and she's been there ever since. About two days after she arrived in Denver, the whole place went on lockdown, and almost virtually, Pat has seen no one in her room for over a year. And Pat listens every week to us, and I just want to say, God bless you, Pat. Thanks for your prayers for us. She prays for us. If you're alone in your place, I'm glad you're tuning in because we want you to hear the word of God and we want God to speak to you even if you're alone where you are. Some of you are watching in home church groups together. We're glad that you're here and we encourage you just to let the word of God speak to you, interact around it. And when you're able, we want to encourage you to consider coming back to one of our campuses. We'd love to see you in person. Even if that's not the time right now, let us know that you're with us. We'd love to hear from you. Now today, let's take our small notebook journals or your big Bible, and let's turn together to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're in this chapter, the second chapter of the book, in which Paul entered the city of Thessalonica, and he came to bring them the gospel we've seen over the last couple of weeks that it was a great ministry, that many people came to faith and they turned from idols to give their life to God and to serve him and to wait until Christ came again, which he hasn't done yet. So we're all waiting and we're serving. But the book of First Thessalonians is about a people who were absolutely transformed. And they were transformed in the midst of a culture that in some respects has similarities to our own. The first century culture was very polytheistic. There were all kinds of affections and allegiances to gods. And it was a religious culture. And when Paul came to the city, he found there people who were religiously different as we would in our own world. People who are committed to, in Paul's day, idols, pagan deities, some to Judaism, some to Greek gods, and Paul came bringing the message of Christ. We live in a day in which people are religiously different. Today, there are major religions in the world. Christianity has won them in the minds of people. So is Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and many more. So people were religiously different. Many people were religiously indifferent. They didn't really care about religion. They weren't interested in it so too in our own day. Then there were religious pluralists, people who would take a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion, and amalgamate it into something that they created on their own ideas of what religious system would work for them. In Paul's day, that was similar. And then, of course, there were the religiously opposed, people who were against anybody who had religious ideas. In fact, in the first century, 
the general idea about a polytheistic approach to religion was pretty lenient to whatever your view was, so long as you didn't try to impose it on others. And then came Paul preaching the gospel. This is really the day in which we live too. We live in a day that is religiously very different. And we're preaching a message of the gospel. Well, that's what we're called to do. And when we open up 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we actually get the introduction of Paul coming. So let's read the first two verses together. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction. When Paul arrived on the scene, he was coming in turmoil. Turmoil because there were people against him. He had just had a terrible experience in Philippi where he had been beaten and mistreated, and he was subject to slander, intimidation, and shamefully treated. And yet, he stood up, came to this city, and began doing what he always did. Now, you see the very first verse? Paul says, you know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. That word vain means empty, futile, meaningless. Our arrival in the city of Thessalonica was not meaningless. On the contrary, it was fruitful, what Paul means to say. It was effectual. It had a really good outcome because of the transformations of lives that happened there. So as we read through the rest of the text, the questions we're answering is, what made Paul's ministry in this polytheistic, antagonistic city fruitful? What made it not empty and meaningless, but actually um, effective for what God wanted to have happen there? And I've diluted it down into three words that will help us today. So number one, I think Paul describes the reason it was an effective church is because of the message that was preached, the motives that drove the preachers, and the methods that they used. So with those three words in our mind, let's turn now sort of again to verse 2. What was the message? Well, in verses 2, 4, eight, and nine. In my little book, I, I have underlined and highlighted four phrases. In verse two, the gospel of God. Paul said, you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. That was the message. It's repeated again in verse four. We were entrusted with the gospel. Again, verse eight, um, we were willing to share with you the gospel of God. And then again in verse 9, it's repeated again, the gospel of God. What do you think the message is? It's the gospel. It's the good news, which is what the word gospel means, from God. God is the source of the good news. For a church to flourish in an antagonistic, polytheistic world, need the right message. And Paul says the message is the gospel. We came to you preaching this. 
So everyone listening to me today associated with Calvary should be able to identify what is the gospel of God. And to do that, if you have your big Bible, maybe you just keep your finger here in 1 Thessalonians or we'll put it on the screen, and you can see that 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 3 and 4 describe the gospel as Paul um, describes it. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 1 actually begins, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, that you received, it's the gospel in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached, unless you believed in vain, and there's that word again, unless your belief is not real. Here's the gospel, verse 3. For I delivered to you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that on the third day he was raised according to the Scriptures. What's the gospel, Paul said? It's the gospel I preached to you in Corinth. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day he rose according to the Scriptures. In a nutshell, Paul is describing that this message, Christ came into the world to die for sinners. He was buried, uh, effectually saying the death of Christ was the wrath of God poured out against sinners, but God in triumph raised him from the dead, all prophesied throughout the scriptures. This is the good news. It's the good news because It's what God has done in coming to us. God sent his son into the world. Now God is sending Paul to the city at Thessalonica. And today he sends us into the world to tell this message. Nothing can happen fruitful for the development of a church or the development of a ministry movement without the message being right. This is the heart of the message. In another place to the Corinthians, Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ crucified in order that you would know that your faith would rest not in the words of men, but in the power of God. And to the Romans, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So I just want to remind all of you who are listening today that Paul's work in Thessalonica was a gospel-sharing work. And any church that's going to thrive before God is going to be a gospel-sharing church, a gospel-proclaiming church. And that's what we are. We preach the gospel, and every one of us who follow Christ were called as God sent Paul to Thessalonica. Jesus said, I send you into all the world to preach the gospel, make disciples. So, A thriving church has to begin with the right message. But that's not all. If you continue and now look at uh, verses 3 through uh, 6, and you'll see that what Paul says is something about the, the motives behind what makes church work. The motives. So let's read verses Three through six. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God 
to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please men. Here it is. This is what I highlighted in my Bible. But to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext of greed. I highlighted this too. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. In these four verses, Paul highlights what is the only grounding motive for a church to exist, for a gospel movement to occur. And you saw what it was. Everything we did, we did to please God. And God is witness of that, it says. God is the witness of what our motives are. It's sort of a convicting truth, but we don't do anything of which God does not know. All that we do, he's witness to. And so Paul said, everything we did with you when we were preaching there, we did in order to please God, God who tests the heart. We could fool other people in what we do in our ministry, and there are a lot of ministries that do fool people. They may not be God-glorifying. None of us are perfect at it, but the motive of our heart, the motive of Paul's heart was everything I do in Thessalonica I'm going to do for the glory of God. Let's just think about that. When that was occurring, there were all kinds of charlatans, false teachers, people who had motives that were illicit. And in their illicit motives, um, they would exploit people, take advantage of them, take their money. Even some of them lead to illicit relationships with the listeners. Can you imagine that? But you know what? Paul did everything he did to please God, and when he preached the gospel in Philippi, he was beaten for it. Charlatans who are beaten for their message change professions. But the apostles, when they preached the gospel to please God, even though it incited other people against them, merely committed to say, my life is for God and I'm going to please him no matter what. Nothing will happen to deter me away from that. My life is for him. You might remember an event in the book of Acts that we looked at earlier last year where Peter and John were preaching and the listeners got so upset, were so opposed to the message that they gathered them and brought them in prison and the officials were trying to figure out what to do with them. And they finally brought them in and they lectured them and said, you must not say another word or teaching about this Jesus. And their reply in Acts chapter 4 was this, whether it's right for us to obey God or you, you be the judge, but we cannot help but speak the things that we have both seen and heard. And they went out and kept preaching. Why? Because the grounding for their life was to please God no matter what anybody else said. I love that. So you see that message throughout the Bible. Paul told Timothy um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you preach the word no matter what because the Lord is the judge who's coming to judge the living and the dead. And we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There'll be one day then the only person who will matter in all the world is God. But sometimes in our life that gets a little disoriented and we start 
being driven to please other people. And Paul just said, everything that we did in Thessalonica was to please God. I love that. That is just a beautiful commitment that guarded him. It was his motive. Whatever you do in word or do, deed, do it all to the glory of God. We want to please God. Now, what I did in my notebook is I highlighted to please God who tests our hearts. Knowing that our hearts sometimes get off course and we can quickly begin to do things to please ourselves or to try to please the important people in our life. But we want to be able to please God. In these four verses, there actually are seven illicit motives that Paul says, these weren't my motives. And he lists them, and I underlined them, and maybe you'll go back in verse 3, and I'll just read them quickly. Um, Our appeal to you, our ministry to you, was not from error. It's true. It's the Word of God. It's true. It wasn't from impurity. It wasn't impure. It was pure. That sense there is, in the most narrow sense, sexual immorality. It wasn't to gain anything inappropriate from any person that we were coming preaching. Neither was it an attempt to deceive anyone. And there are a lot of deceivers who have gone out into the world. Um, It continues on in verse 4. We've been approved by God and trusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men. We're not here to please men. And there are... There's a temptation to want to only say the things that the people listening will enjoy hearing. But we're committed to doing the things that please God and saying all that he has said, not with words of flattery. That's the fifth illicit motive. We don't want to say the things that will make other people feel good about themselves so that they'll like us better, nor for a pretext of greed. Can you imagine someone being a preacher so that they can enrich themselves? Yeah, we can. We see it all the time. But Paul said we didn't do that. And he makes a point in this text to say, as an apostle, I might have had authority to say, because I'm an apostle, you should support me. But actually, he labored night and day to pay his own way because he didn't preach in the pretext of greed. And the last illicit motive was he didn't seek glory from people. He wasn't about being a celebrity here, a celebrity preacher. Wow, you see what's going on around us. Um, God keep us small. God keep us humble. God keep us preaching the gospel so that he'll be known. This is a great temptation to be diverted in our motives and then to say things that will make people happy. I remember when I was first at Calvary, in the early years of my ministry, I was probably here a year or two when we were preaching through the the book of 1 Corinthians. And it was either in chapter 5 or chapter 7 that the subject of the morning um, addressed sexual purity. And I preached about God's prescriptive plan for human sexuality in its normal and narrow revelation in the Bible, that God's plan for sexual expression 
is between a man and a woman in a monogamous relationship in marriage. And I remember speaking about sexual sin and God's desire that we would repent of that and turn to him. And after the service, I could see a woman coming down the aisle with her husband in a beeline to me. And when she got to me, she said, how dare you preach that? Do you not know what happened in our family this week? The answer was, of course, no. I had no idea. And if I had had an idea, I hoped that I would have had the courage to continue to preach what had been on the schedule for six months. I can't control that, but I can just clearly say this is what the Bible says. And sometimes it's not going to please the audience. Would you agree with that? Sometimes we're convicted, and that's the role of the Bible to come into our lives and to bring a sense of conviction to us. Paul said, I didn't do anything that would make people like me more, put me on a pedestal, pay me more. My motive in all my life is to please God. That was the motive of all that he was doing. Okay, any questions? There, there it is. Uh, that's what Paul wanted to do. He said to the Galatians, am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? If I seek the approval of men, how can I be the servant of Christ? I can't. So it's the message has to be right for a church to flourish, and the motives have to be right. And none of us get it perfect all the time. So we keep coming back. This is for God and his glory. And then there's methodology that's described in this text. There's a method, and that's verses 7 to verse 12. And I see three here. In verse 7, you'll read, and I circled, but we were gentle among you. For a ministry to flourish, it has to have a gentleness. And he describes it, actually, gentle like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. A gentle, not a bombastic ministry, but a gentle one. Gentle as Jesus is for I am meek and lowly in heart. I'm gentle and lowly. That's what Paul was describing himself as. He actually says, I was like your mom, like a mother, a nursing mother. I was thinking like my mom wasn't always gentle, but a nursing mom is always gentle with a helpless baby who needs the milk to survive. There's gentleness. Once you get to be a toddler or a teenager, things can change a little bit. But Paul said, when we came to you, we were like a caring, nurturing, gentle mother. We need to be gentle with people, especially if they're religiously different or indifferent or in opposition. We need to be gentle in 2 Peter chapter. 3 and verse 15, Peter said, you should be ready at any time. Sanctify the Lord in your heart that you would be able to give an answer anytime anyone asks you about the hope, but to do it with gentleness and respect. That's what Paul said. We were gentle among you. The second thing is he was sacrificially loving. I, I see this in verse 8, and I underlined in my text, being affectionately desirous of you. We just wanted to be with you with affection. And we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own lives. 
because you become very dear to us. And I highlighted dear. He was affectionate. He, they were dear to him. He wanted to give them his own life. And then he describes how he actually did that in verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We work night and day that you might not, we might not be a burden to any of you. We, we made sacrifices, that we got a part-time job, that we were working as tent makers in order that you wouldn't have to pay us. So in no sense would we be a burden to you financially while we preach to you the gospel of God and your witnesses how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was to you. I look at these three verses and I say, Paul had a sacrificial love for them where he was willing to give up and love them to the point of sacrifice of his own comfort. There are a lot of people who want to share the gospels, but maybe not their own life. And maybe other times, maybe we're tempted to share our lives and be friends with people, but never get to the point of sharing the gospel. Paul was able to do both with them. He shared his life. He got next to them, and he shared the gospel. In order for us to be gentle and loving to the point of sacrifice where we would actually give not just a message, but give of ourselves to people, it's going to take time, time to be with people, time to care about what's going on in their life, time to listen to why they don't want to be around church, time to listen to why they used to be around, but now they're not to hear their wounds, and to be caring and gentle and loving to the point of giving of yourself to be with someone. That's what Paul said was part of the methodology of being with people. What does it take to influence someone? It takes time and a sacrificial love. And the third one is in verse 11 and 12. He said, with each of you, we were like a father with its child. We were... Um, exhorting each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk <clears throat> in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. In verses 11 and 12, he describes sort of the third way is in a firm but faithful manner. Like he's just steady with them. He's encouraging them, consoling them. And that word <clears throat> uh, charge them is the word to really have an impassioned insistence that they follow the Lord. And that takes being with somebody for a while. So Paul's plan with these people was to be gentle with them, um, to love them in a sacrificial way, and to be steady with them, encouraging, affirming them over time. And that kind of relational method of being with people is what Paul said is made the ministry in Thessalonica, not vain. It was fruitful. I love the way Eugene Peterson writes uh, verses 11 and 12 in the message. He says, we, with each of you, we were like a father with his child, holding your hand, whispering encouragement, showing you step by step how to live well before God, who called us into his kingdom and into this delightful life. That's what Paul did in an antagonistic culture, this is how he entered the city, with the message of the gospel, with a motive to please God, what, regardless of what anyone else thought, and with a desire to love people and be gentle with them and stay with them in a firm, enduring way. This was going to make any church thrive in the culture we live in today. 
And I want to encourage you to join with me in thinking about our role today being the kind of individuals and the kind of church that's willing to go to people where they are, as Paul went to Thessalonica, and to be with them in a loving way, and to love God in the presence of them and to love them enough to say, this is the gospel message that God gave to us. I think as we do that, it could be said of us, so our ministry is not futile, but fruitful and meaningful. And may God help us, both in our own lives, in our ministry as a church, to be that kind of church. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for a glimpse at the life of Paul, the difference he made in the lives of other people. I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you will stir up our hearts that we might even today think about how we're living on mission as a people to share your good news, the good news of the gospel that Christ died for sinners like me. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's listening to my voice right now who perhaps has never opened their heart to Jesus as a Savior. May the power of the gospel be the power to save. May you just prompt them right where they are to say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to save me from my sins. And then for all of us listening, Lord, I pray that you will give us an idea in our mind of where you want to send us with this message of the gospel, with a desire to please you and to love people in this kind and gentle, respectful way. Lord, give us grace that we'll flourish as the kind of people who make you known in the world and bring you glory so that we live worthy of the calling that you've given to us as being part of your kingdom. This is what we pray for together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.